Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. We're on Twitter. What? We're on Facebook. What's a Facebook? We're on Instagram. <laughs> and we are on the WWW. But guess what else we're on? What? We're on YouTube! Oh! <laughs> YouTube! That's right. We have our own channel. Oh. Yes, there you can find our episodes, some trailers, and a whole lot more we're cooking up. And we have a very, very special opportunity for you. That's right. If you subscribe at YouTube, our channel there, this month of July, you will be entered to win a custom watching plan from Why Watch That. If you win, yeah, we'll tell you, hey, here's some things for you, just you, to check out. We will curate that thing for you. Ew, why watch that? We're kind of nice over here, aren't we? We sure are. So if you're interested in that, and heck, you should be on the YouTube anyway. The YouTube. See, I was saying like, oh, man. <laughs> Not just a YouTube. <laughs> be on the YouTube anyway at our channel, Why Watch That. Subscribe in July, and maybe you'll know what to watch from here forth. So why watch that TV talk? Ooh, summer is winding down. Mm. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Better get that book that last minute trip to the Hamptons. <laughs> or wherever you may be. Listen, we've got a full robust TV episode for you, a TV talk for you this week. Summer's winding down, but unfortunately, TV is not. And the critic got a chance to check out some wonderful series premieres, some brand new shows for us to talk about, as well as some season premieres, some of those shows that are returning, some ones we love, the other ones we're confused about. And then we're going to say ta-ta for now to a couple of shows. <clears throat> are you ready, critic? Uh, yes. <laughs> Je suis prêt. Oh, prêt. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's for, you, not that's me. No, that's right. <laughs> Don't say that. Let's start with a series premiere that is on HBO right now. You got to see the two episode premiere of it. It's, it's in its first season. It's Our Boys, which you told me is the new Monday show slot. It has that slot. Um, and it's an Israeli piece or coming to us um, from that region or in that vein, rather. Um, I, I don't know much about it, so I'm really curious as to what you have to say. Yeah, it is from uh, Israel. You know, this is an Israeli show. We got it. Um, so it's it's actually telling a true story, um, what happened earlier this century. Um, so there were three um, Israeli teen teenage boys who were who went missing. Oi. Now we know the region. <clears throat> so why did they go missing? And they end up dead. Oh dear. So imagine the push and pull because this the the center of this show is Jerusalem. That's where we are. And if you know Jerusalem, it houses lots of different religions. Okay. So the Arabs are blamed for what happened. But were they the ones who did it? Who knows? So the question is, will someone will someone who's a Jewish retaliate against the Arabs? Mm. And how? So at the center of this is a family, an Arab family, and they have uh, two sons. The younger son, he's teenage as well. He's around the same age as the boys who went missing and then wound up uh, being found dead. Right. And he wants to go to Turkey, I believe, 
on vacation. He's done all of this work in school to do so, so that his father will pay for him to go. But uh, at the moment, he has to work. His father has a business. Uh, both of his sons help him with that, but do they help him? Right. So what happens is this younger son, something happens to some of the equipment at the job and he's blamed for it. So then the father says, well, you ain't going to Turkey. And this is a problem. So then the son decides to get another job to try to pay for it himself and so on and so forth. We also see what's going on with the cops in Jerusalem. How, what's that dynamic? What's the push and pull there? Of course, there's one detective who has certain ideas that no one else has about who's up to what, who actually did the kidnapping and so on and so forth, but no one agrees. Also, you have uh, just a, this nationalistic spirit that has happened because of our boys being found dead, right? <clears throat> so by the end of the two episodes, we see that someone else goes missing. Uh-oh. And the question is, will this someone else be found in time? Is this a retaliation? Who did it? Is it the, the Jewish people who did it? Is it the Arabs who did it to themselves? Oh boy. What in the world is happening there? And how is this family, this Arab family affected? Now, I'll say this, this is, I'll call it good. Um, you do get the whole kind of handheld camera feel. Mm -hmm. uh, they're of course going for authenticity. We oh, got yeah. all of that. My only thing is, it took two episodes to get to where we need to get in one. So if I'm gonna keep watching this, they're gonna need to advance the story a little more. Because mm -hmm. as I was watching it, Ref, I was kind of going, okay, like I'm done with this part of the story. I'm done, I'm, I've got it, moving on, like move on. And this is my main thing now with both movies and TV shows, stop wasting my, I won't talk about anybody else's, my time. Oh. Okay, Ouch. get to the point. Don't be redundant, I got it. This is a visual medium, I got it, I got it. Show it and get out of there. Because in this way, what you'll do is draw us in. And that's what I'm looking for. And this is a compelling story. I mean, obviously, but I wasn't compelled. Not so far. Oh, geez. Those are tough words for our boys. Maybe we'll see if it changes a little bit, if you dare <laughs> go with it. Yeah, it's not bad. You know, it's just, it's yeah. frustrating when you, you know, you're watching something, you go, it could be this instead, if they just move that story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. David makes man. Ooh, this is on own. Own is coming in and trying to really uh, hone down on the uh, African American experience, the story. And this one, surprisingly, is uh, from an African American young boy's point point of view. Um, this is not. I've Oprah's been on record saying that this is she had not really thought about telling that point of view and was absolutely intrigued when the creator Terrell Alvin um, McCraney uh, who we know from his award-winning uh, Moonlight uh, came to be in our world um, but this was uh, coming to us from also Michael B. Jordan and his company and it's starring pretty much a lot of newcomers, but one is not. <laughs> and that is the marvelous, amazing um, Felicia Rashad. Yeah. So she, Felicia Rashad is on own from the writer of Moonlight. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're in the same place as Moonlight. We're in Miami. Because it's semi-autobiographical, I believe. Mm -hmm. So it's inspired by his life. And you know, on OWN, they do, as you watch the first episode, uh, after, at the beginning of each commercial break, you see a talk between Terrell and Oprah uh, about that um, on the set. Ooh. And I was like, oh, this is a set. Like, the set is great. It looks real. I'll give them that. Um, so. It, it looks off. <laughs> I thought I was actually in the Miami-Dade area. Um, that's a little inside joke, everybody. So 
Now, for David Makes Man, this is certainly not trying to be authentic. Thank you. Because Terrell is an artist. Mm -hmm. So let's keep that in mind. Now, David is a 14-year-old kid. He's whip smart, but his family is encountering trouble. He has a younger brother who's wetting the bed. (laughs) The poor kid. So David's the one who the brother goes to in the morning is like, sorry. <laughs> and David has to, you know, put his clothes in the wash and the and the, the bedding in the wash while he takes his brother to school and he has to go to school too. Oh, sounds like he's doing some parental duties. Why, right? Where's mom? Dad is out of the picture. Mm. Mom is in the bed asleep. What's going on there? Oh. Now we see David at school. He's in an advanced class. The class is taught by Felicia Rashad. Of course it is. I was like, if it ain't taught by her, I don't want to watch it. I'll tell you this. (laughs) If she were my teacher, I'd go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when, when they give her the words in the classroom, that's a teacher. It took me back in a, on, let's say on the flip side of the coin, Joe Clark and lean on me. Oh my gosh, I can't even. No, you you cannot drop that. <laughs> now she's crazy and she's not. The flip side, you know. Yes. So yes. think the early parts of Lean on Me when he's talking about embrued. Stain. <laughs> okay. It is a blot, a shameful, greasy spot on the fabric of our national character. <laughs> <laughs> This woman could say that. She yes. Could. Yes, she could. Yes, okay. So in this classroom, you know, David wants to do really well. Now, on his way to school, he has to take the bus. And on the bus, he's in he encounters Sky, a grown man who's a drug dealer. Wait, this is like really much feeling like moonlight. Right. So he's on this bus, and Sky actually wants David to excel. So he's that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Why does he care about David? Why is he on this bus with David? What's going on? And throughout the episode, he pops up here and there and tries to counsel David. I mean, they are friends almost. Mm-hmm. But David fights against him. Why? What's what's this anger about? Also, by the way, David has dreams, vivid dreams, and we see them. And, and these were some of the best parts of the show, Ref, is when they're showing his dreams. And the question is throughout the show, is what you're seeing real or is it from David's mind? Mm-hmm. You have to be careful. Is Are you seeing the truth or not? Authenticity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's almost poetry in motion, which matches Terrell's writing. So yes. when this show does that, it's really, really interesting and good to watch. So anyway, so David's at school. We know who his teacher is. And he has his best friend who's also in the class. And I'll tell you, his best friend is mixed. Now, I'm saying that for a reason. This is very much like... <laughs> <laughs> so they're in the, in the class. They have this uh, project to do, this speech. And Sky told David, you better go first. But David's friend beats him to it. Uh. How does David react? Hmm. because his friend wants to talk about something from the African-American experience. I'll put it that way. So can David use that against his friend to make him angry? You'll see the results of that. And why is he jealous? And then as we move through this episode, we learn more about what's going on with mom. There's something going on there. We learn more about the drug dealing contingent that's right outside of David's door. We see some of David's neighbors, and so on and so forth. So by the end, David's uh, circumstance has changed at school. I won't tell you how. And we do understand exactly what's going on between David and Sky by the end of episode one. Now, I talked about when this show matches the poetry of the writing, visually, it's at its best. This is a visual medium. Mm-hmm. When it's not at its best is when it's too much talking. Mm. And if you think of Moonlight Ref and Terrell's writing, it's sparse. 
Yes, yes. That's what we need. Sparse writing, show it. And then it's like, is, why is this even, how did Own end up with this show? It's that kind of thing. So if you're thinking of the um, lineage of Own, where we started with them with Queen Sugar, making an announcement, hey, we're trying to do more than what you're used to in TV. You get green the green leaf even, yeah. Mm-hmm. You get the green leaf after that. And now we're at David Makes Man. This is pushing it even further. And I think the question for them is, how much are they gonna trust the visuals and just the impact of the storyline instead of the dialogue itself? And I will say, the whole Sky storyline, I'll just tell them, I knew what was going on from the beginning. Yes. So don't worry too much about twists and turns. This story by itself is compelling enough. I mean, David makes for a compelling figure. And when you have Terrell writing the character, just get the visuals. Put the money in the visuals. Mm. Well, let's move on to why women kill. Ooh. This is its first season on CBS All Access. Talk about authentic. some very familiar cast members i'll let you go into that very familiar you know it's funny because um it was announced earlier this week as of taping or last week excuse me that uh cbs has formally merged with viacom so it's viacom cbs Um, they'll be closing the deal hopefully by the end of this year and who knows what kind of ip we'll see on CBS All Access. But as of right now, they're really trying to pull it. They're getting the stars. They're also getting um, some of the stories. The question is, where does Why Women Kill fit in all of that? Right. And piggybacking off of what you said, now the Star Trek universe is whole. Absolutely. Movies and TV, let's go. Now, Why Women Kill? There are three marriages that are at the heart of this TV show. And they exist in three different time periods, but these couples live in the same house. So the house is the constant from 1963 to 1984 to 2019. Now, is this house cursed? Because obviously it's about why women kill. And this is coming to us from Mark Cherry, Desperate Housewives. So you know where we're going. Uh, Okay, now you just told me the whole, yeah. So in 1963, uh, Jennifer Goodwin plays Beth Ann Stanton. Um, She's a housewife, of course. Um, And and this is a big house, by the way. In 1963, they say, this is our mansion. You know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, And it's in Pasadena. So, you know, she's fine being a housewife, all of that. But then when she meets the neighbors, they're Italian, okay? So this is the 60s. Mm-hmm. But these Italian neighbors, uh, don't worry about them because they know more about you than you think. Hello, mm. okay? Keep your prejudice to yourself because you might have to worry about your own marriage. Because the husband of this couple, because they are invited over to uh, the Stanton's house for dinner, and the husband starts talking to uh, Beth Ann's husband. And he goes, oh, you work in such and such place? Hmm. Gets really quiet, looks at his wife. They end up leaving. Why? Oh, oh, okay. Well, there's a secret about Beth Ann's husband that ain't too good and leads to Beth Ann going through her own little stalking routine, I'll call it. Mm. Mm. Trying to check out whether what she heard about her hus- hubby is true or not. Is that the reason why she kills? Hmm. In 1984, Lucy Liu is at the center here, playing Simone Grove. Uh, She is on her third marriage. And um, she's this socialite. You know, we get the 80s clothes and hair and all of that. Love it, love it. And you know, you know, dynasty all the way here. Oh my gosh, brilliant. And the thing is, her husband, has a big old secret. Oh, what is going on here? It's not the same kind of secret, but it's shocking oh. to Simone. It won't be shocking to you when you watch it. Yeah, I think But I it's know. shocking to her. And the way she finds out, there's an envelope that's left on the table during one of her parties with some compromising photos. Oy and she's not the only one who sees these photos. Mm. Because she has some friends or frenemies 
one of whom's son is working the party. Now, this son has a little crush on Simone. What happens there? Oh, gosh. And why does she kill? Now, in 2019, right now, we're dealing with Taylor Harding, played by Kirby Howell Baptiste. And she has a husband, same house again. Um, but they have an open marriage. Oh, 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 uh-oh. And at the moment, she's the one who's cashing in on the openness. Oh. She has a girlfriend. Uh-oh. Well, she invites him to the house. Oh, no, she didn't. Now, this girlfriend and the husband, is something going to happen there? Hmm? Oh, my gosh, too much. I mean, they have rules, but do they follow them? And why does she kill? So the question is this, everybody. Why Women Kill is the title. It's not only why, but whom. It might not be who you think. So that's the question they leave us with at the end of episode one. And here's what I have to say in my review. This isn't ridiculous enough. Shockingly, Hmm. it felt sluggish. Um, I was watching it going, I don't care. Like, Come on, Mark Cherry. Like, go all the way. Come on, y'all. Be ridiculous. Now, Lucy Liu was definitely trying. But the writing was not that good. And the pacing was problematic. And this is where I go again. Do not waste my time. I already know. I already know what these husbands are doing when you're trying to hide it. I got it. I know the truth of it. Like, move forward. Give the, have the throwing of the plates. Have people tearing the wigs off. Have people holding each other's hairs and, and, and fighting. Like, that's what we want. Go all the way. Why do you have the show? So, I, you know, I will give it one more episode. That's about it. Okay. Well, let's move on to some season premieres. These are shows that are tried and true, and you've come back for number two. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> I just made that up. Succession on HBO is back. Brian Cox is taking names. Which kid is going to get the throne or none of them? (laughs) You know, now right now as we're taping, the second episode is airing. So I haven't seen that, but I have seen episode one. Um, And we pick up essentially right where we left off at the end of season one in season two. And we know at the end of season one that the oldest son had a little relapse. Uh Uh-oh. He also was involved in a murder. Wait a minute. This sounds like Empire, but not. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, it, it, it was a mistaken death. So did they cover that up? Yes, because this is the Roy family. Um... And they're very wealthy, you know, all of that. So that's no problem. But the son, here's the thing, everybody. And uh, the son's played by Jeremy Strong. His name is Kendall. He went off to a retreat to have his rehab after unsuccessfully trying to take over his father's company via an outside hostile bid. So there's the Roy family owns a media company. Right. And he was supposed to be the one who's taken over from his father, all of that. But at the end of season one, it doesn't come to fruition. And so he's at, you know, retreat. He's at rehab. Mm-hmm. He's only been there maybe two days, not more, not long. When father comes a knock, and not literally, he sends somebody to pick his son up, Kendall, and to bring him back to squash this hostile takeover. Oh. Now you need to go to the media, do an interview, and tell them what the deal is so that we don't have to deal with this hostile takeover anymore. Is that a success? Also, as they're dealing with this hostile takeover, who's going to take over, like you said, for the actual family? Who's going to be the head of their own company? Because Kendall has a brother, played by Kieran Culkin, his name is Roman, and a sister, played by Siobhan um, where am I looking here? Am I saying the wrong name? Yes. Okay. So, Sarah Snook. Yes, her name is Siobhan. I got you. So, that's the sister. Now, the sister's been in politics. And when it comes to Roman, he's been working in the family business. So, each of them is kind of like, well, it should be me. And there's also the oldest brother who's been off on his own ranch. And what's he doing here now with his prostitute girlfriend? Wait a minute. Yes. So all of them are going, 
who's going to take over for dad? Now, as far as Kendall goes, he's kind of like, why am I here? Like, I should be in rehab. Just to be present, I've got to take drugs again. I mean, I need to get out of here. And it's not going to be me, right? Now, everybody else is kind of going, maybe it should be me. But they don't want to say it out loud. So in the first episode, uh, what happens is Logan, the father, Brian Cox, meets with each of them separately and tells them what he wants them to do. And maybe one of them he wants to take over and he lets it slip. Hmm? But does he mean it? I mean, even in this meeting, this person, I won't give it away, is saying, wait, are you serious? <laughs> like, it says it like three, four times. So in the end, what we see is Logan is up to being Logan again. He is moving those chess pieces. He's trying to see 100 steps ahead. And we don't know what he's thinking. Nobody does. But I will say this. Don't count Kendall out. Ooh. Now, I like Succession. I liked season one. I found it entertaining. I think it's overhyped. That's what I would say. It, there is no depth here. And that's fine. That's fine. It doesn't have to be deep. But if you want to call it great, it's got to be a little deeper. Now, they have an excellent cast. So who really cares? I don't. It's just like, let's calm down on the hype. Now, outside of that, what I did found the most compelling in season two, episode one, was Kendall himself. The whole juxtaposition of him kind of being in a different world with these people. What's he thinking? He's kind of drugged out, but clear and calm. And that was a nice contrast to all of the craziness going on, which I didn't get. I didn't get to all of it. Oh boy. So I think if they continue that, that's an interesting little storyline to follow. Otherwise, I mean, it's just fun to watch. Why not? I feel like it's such a great, if you're going to watch Billions, then Succession mm -hmm. is right around the corner if you want to really get your fix. Yeah, Succession um, is better. Oh, okay. Well then, but a good companion. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, the terror is back, but this time the terror infamy. Now remember, this is an anthology on AMC. Ridley Scott is still at the helm producing. And this is season two, but it's a new cast and crew. So it's not going to be the terror that we saw in season one. This is, again, an anthology. So we've got a new terror we're dealing with. Yeah. And the terror, this time, Infamy is set during World War II um, off the San Francisco coast. And it's focused on Japanese Americans. Oi. So you know where we're going. Mm -hmm. Now, at the start of this season, uh, at the center of it is Chester. Um, and, you know, he's a first generation Japanese American. His parents, uh, you know, are immigrants living in the United States. Uh, so you always have that kind of tension when it's the first generation in a new country. What's that going to be like? How do they receive their parents' culture, their parents' ideals? All of that's there. But before we get to Chester, we see a woman, a Japanese woman. She's putting herself into traditional garb and makeup. She goes to walk across this kind of low bridge thing. And something takes her over. Something. We don't see it. She gets this look on her face. She pulls out what's holding her bun and her hair together and stabs herself. Oh. Okay. No, it is the terror infamy. So what was that? Is this some supernatural thing? And then we see at her funeral, all of the people who've come over from Japan to the United States, they're talking about, well, maybe the spirits we ran away from have come with us. How could that be? Is that possible? What? Okay. So maybe we are dealing with spirits. Who knows? Now, how this woman is connected to Chester is she did something for him before she killed herself that is not good. Mm. So she, she essentially is almost like a medicine woman, if you think of it that way, without me giving it away. And he needed a certain concoction because in secret, he's met a girlfriend. He's gone off to college, and this girlfriend is not Japanese. Oh. 
they are not married. Oh, we okay, got it. So what's happening there? And then he has a father who runs his own business uh, dealing with seafood. And of course, um, he has to deal with, you know, prejudice in that job. He's selling fish to, in particular, this uh, bad white dude. Now, this man is bad. And we see how that plays out. He wants to underpay. And then from there, he does some other things. Because there might be something going on with Chester's father that might put him into trouble when it comes to the government and actually being or remaining in the country. Okay, now what happens to this guy who's trying to blackmail Chester's father? Hmm? You'll have to watch it to find out. Oh, the spirits. Also, by the end of episode one, what happens? What do you think? Because circumstances change for everybody and they might have to go somewhere else that ain't too good. And that's somewhere else, if you know your history, you know where that is. We'll see how that plays out throughout the rest of the season. So that's enough for me to set this up. What I'll say is, if you compare it to the original The Terror, the beginning is not as sharp, it's not as compelling. Um, It looks good in that, you know, kind of vintage-y look that we had also in the first season. I enjoyed that. I think that the storyline is certainly interesting. However, I didn't have enough of a reason to be hooked to what they were doing while I had the hook from the beginning of the original terror. So that's my question moving in this episode two. Will they hook me or not? It's good, but it needs to be better than good. Hello, it is 2019. There's so many shows out here. You've got to go the next step. I hope they do. I'm rooting for the show, but I'm not the one in charge. Well, let's go to season two of David Fincher's and Charlize Theron. Mind Hunter on Netflix. Now, this has gotten a lot of play um, advertisement marketing-wise. Mind Hunter had a very successful first season. People really enjoyed it, uh, especially when you get something from David Fincher where he can settle down and take his time to tell the story. Now we're back for season two, and the question is, is season two really going to take us to places that season one did in a successful way. Yeah, and season one in Mindhunter, what's happening, everybody? We're in the 70s. And in the FBI, this is the first time that they've had a criminal psychology, behavioral science kind of division. So this is like, you know, poppycock. (laughs) They're like, what is this? This is is not, (laughs) I knew you'd like that. They're like, you know, the... The bread and butter FBI agents are like, this is some nonsense. No one knows what it means. When this when this unit shows up places with uh, law enforcement, they have to explain themselves. So we see how this develops in season one. And what they do is they go to the most notorious serial killers, as we call them now. They didn't call them that then, but in the show, we see how it leads to that name. So they go to these serial killers and interview them. Uncuffed. Oi, the cuffs off. I don't think so. Like, so they're sitting to, yeah. Now that's si- poppycock. <laughs> <laughs> so they're sitting directly across from them, interviewing them, and they want to get to the science of it. So there are three main players in this unit. Jonathan Groff plays Holden, who is just like the whiz kid. Mm-hmm. He has the intuition. Mm. Does that get him into trouble? Because he will break the rules. Ah. There's uh, Bill Tench who really is kind of his superior. He has a lot more experience, obviously, in the FBI. And he's the one who's like, you can't do that. You can't say this. Don't overpromise. Don't say that we've gotten this done when we have no proof. So he is the FBI agent of agents who is in this unit. And then they brought out an, uh, brought in an outside expert, Wendy Carr, who is, who is a psychologist, a professor. And she's played by Anna Torv. So Bill Tench is played by Holt McElhaney, by the way. Now, Anna Torv is from Fringe. You one of my favorite shows. Yeah, you love Fringe. So she's there. She's a woman it's in the 70s, 70s in the FBI. But I'll tell you this. Watch out. Oh, gosh. Now, at the end of season one, 
Holden went to visit one of these serial killers alone. And this led to a panic attack, which led to him being hospitalized. So in this new season, Bill finds out about this because Holden's not at work and Bill decides to cover for him. But Bill is like, we got to keep an eye on you. He lets Wendy know. Wendy's like, yeah, I mean, she she also talks to Holden about it. It's like, okay, we got to watch you because this can come up at any time. And if you're in an interview and this happens, this could be disaster. Now, the boss of this unit never was really into it. Okay. And at the beginning of season two, he's decided to retire. Uh-oh. Why? Is it just, look, he's old, he's done, goodbye? Or is there something else going on? And his replacement comes in, and oh boy, his place, replacement's played by Michael Cerberus, who was also in Fringe. Oh, Michael, we know him. Yeah, he's the, if you've seen Fringe, he's the bald dude in Fringe. Yes. He plays, mm -hmm. he plays their new boss, Ted Gunn, who really believes in the unit. He's fascinated by it. He's especially fascinated by Holden. He likes that he doesn't always follow the rules. Mm. He goes, look, we have this visionary. What I need is for Bill and Wendy to be his blinders. He makes a reference to a wild horse. It's a great race horse. He put blinders on him. So they need to be his blinders. Huh. Okay. And then we see how that plays out throughout the season. Is Holden to be trusted or not? I won't give that away. Also, there's some new killers on the prowl. One is the BTK killer. And we see what's going on with that. Does Is that resolved? I won't give it away. There's also, they get into the Atlanta child murders. I, I... Oh boy. Oh, if you don't know that, you can look it up. CNN did a whole documentary series on it. So devastating stuff. So now we're bringing race into the mix. Yes. And what happens is about halfway through the season, that storyline takes over. And that's when this uh, season is its most successful. Because leading up to that, it felt a little too much like season one. I felt like I'd already gotten this information. I know what they do with these killers. I get the procedure, all of that. And I was waiting for more. So when they brought it into the Atlanta child murders and you bring in, okay, you've got a bunch of white people dealing with some black people in Atlanta in the 70s. Who, who is kidnapping these kids? Who's killing them? Who is it? What, what do you think the black people think? KKK. Mm -hmm. What does Holden think? Holden goes, oh, wait a minute, I have my profile. My, I did my research. He went to Sandtown, uh, Baltimore <laughs> to do yep. some research on whether black kids would get in a car with a white man. So he's like, based on that, I don't think this person's white. The only thing that makes sense is if it's a black person. Okay. Oh. Now, these murders have been going on for a long time. And the mothers of these kids, one in particular, is not holding any bars. Okay. Mm -hmm. She's going, y'all need to get your job done. And I will not go away until I know that you ha have done that. I need justice for my son and for all of these other women's sons as well. Oh, now, let me just go into my review. So... As I was saying, halfway through, I was like, you know, I, I like this. Because the thing is, everybody, if you like uh, criminal psychology, criminal profiling, psychology in general, behavioral science, anything like that, then I would say definitely check out the show. It's, it's really good in the details that way, especially to see what was going on in 1977. Like, what was that like? Were they correct? How have things changed? Like, that stuff is interesting. Also, as you said, uh, David Fincher is a producer here. He also directs some of the episodes. In season two, he directed the first three episodes. Now, of course, he directed the first episode overall, so that set the palette. So you have that, his aesthetic, which is, you know, antiseptic darkness. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what we got going on here. So to, if you're going to do that, you really have to draw us in. And I think you know, first half, they did an okay job. But once they really got into the Atlanta child murders, I was drawn in a lot more. I found that very interesting, the way that was going on. It almost had kind of a true detective feel without mm -hmm. the... Um, 
flashing. Yeah, without the flashing and the mystery. Mm -hmm. This is very clinical. So if that sounds like something you would enjoy, everybody, I mean, this is tough stuff. It's very dark. But I say, check this out. If you are a true crime junkie, check it out because this will be right in that lane for you. And I I just say, yeah, overall, they they did a good job. Half, the second half was very good. All right, let's move on to saying goodbye to a couple shows for the se- just just oh series finales. Yeah. Ah, so we're saying goodbye, 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 goodbye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Rook on Stars, one and done. <laughs> it came, it stayed, and then it left. Uh, <laughs> this is something that you got to finish. We're saying goodbye to it. Mm-hmm. Ta ta. Yeah, and and okay. So we talked about this. This is the show, everybody, where you have these superhuman beings, um, but they are being used by the by certain governments to police, to be detectives. And in this show, we're in Great Britain, we're in London, and we have this secret group. There's MI5, there's MI6, and there's them. But the public doesn't know that they exist. And that's a whole thing going on throughout the season. Will they be outed or not? Now, these superhuman beings, yes, they call them SVAs. They are also, you know, a hot commodity on the black market. People are kidnapping them and selling them to the highest bidder. So at the center of this, we have Miffany Thomas. She in in the the Sheke, they call them this, that secret group in London, the Sheke. She's the rook. So that's where the title comes from. So think of chess pieces. So that's where she is in the pecking order. There's a king, there's a queen, there are rooks, and so on and so forth. But she's awakened at the beginning of this series, and there's a bunch of dead bodies. She has no memory. Why? Why does she have no memory? And who can she trust? Maybe it's nobody. Who's after her? Not only from the black market, but also in the chacay. Hmm? She's got to figure all of this out. Can she get her memory back? Who took her memory? Mm. Also, we have uh, Olivia Munn's character. She's come over from the States. She is uh, their counterpart in the States. She's come over for a particular reason, which is linked to the black market and to Miffany's murders. Wait. So by the end of this, what they're calling a miniseries, isn't that cute? Mm-mm-mm. Now they call it a miniseries. So at the end of this miniseries... The question is, is Miffany safe? Hmm? You know the black market is involved. Also, the original king played by Jolie Richardson, Linda, we start to see what she can do powerfully. And is she safe? Because the queen, okay, the guy underneath her has ambitions. And he can get into people's bodies and make them choke and pass out and do all kinds of stuff. He also has a relationship with a politician who's married. Like, this is where all of this stuff is like, whoa, these people. What? So all of this is intertwined. Also, Miffany has this relationship with what they call the gestalt. It's four siblings who uh, share consciousness. So she had a past with them. And if you're with one, you're with all four. Uh-oh. Mm. And if that, so, you know, if you think you're going to run away from one of them, there are three more who could be anywhere. <laughs> now, as I'm describing this, it sounds like fun, right, Ref? These yeah, powers. Amazing. Gosh, good gracious. The reason they have one season instead of multiple is what have I been saying throughout this episode? I've been saying, get to the point. Excuse me, The Rook. This is, here we go again. You have these characters with powers, but you want to like, what are we on a budget plan? You don't want to show us the powers. You want to hide. Your writing is not that good to not use the powers. Use the powers. We should be seeing them all the time in big ways and in little ways. I understand you have budgets, but they can do little things, which you did occasionally, that keeps us interested. This writing is not that compelling. When they went into the powers, that's the show. You didn't go there enough. That's why you're over. But I did make it to the end. Oh, well, good. Well... Speaking of powers, oh, 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 oh. boy, Whoa. Legion is done, mm. but it did not go quietly. <laughs> this is on FX. 
in its third season, it's saying ta-ta. We have some... I, I don't even know what... It, I tried to watch it, and I was like, what is... I, I, it's psychedelic. Yeah. <laughs> and I will come back to that very point, because I had a eureka moment. Okay. In this season. Now, Legion is Marvel's Legion. Yes, Professor X's son. What does Legion mean? He has all kinds of personalities in his head. Okay. We see Legion throughout the three seasons here as a baby, leading up to being an adult. And for over 30 years, he's had this being in his consciousness. And this being is an omega level mutant. Mm. Now this being tried to be in Charles Xavier's head, but Charles Xavier, Professor X kicked him out. So the being went into the astral plane and discovered David, who's a legion. Got in his brain because he's a baby. Oh, Where's Professor X? Good gracious. Well, Professor X, we find out in season three, we get where he was. He wasn't at home. Oh. He left his wife, David's mother, there alone with the baby. And he found David's mother, by the way, in the asylum. He was there, she was there. He went into her brain and brought her back to life. Now, look, there is a reason why she was not dealing with the things in her brain. A very strong reason. She's a mutant? No, but think Magneto. If you know that backstory, you know. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, so we get that here. And David finally figures out that Farouk, that's this being in his head, has been there, kicks him out. This happened before this season. But Farouk convinces David's friends that David is going to lead to the end of the world as Mm. we know it. It'll go away. So he, in season three, gets all of David's friends to work against David to try to stop him. But in season three, David is really coming into his powers. You can't just stop him. And he finds a mutant who can go back and forth in time. Mm. But there is always a cost to powers. We know this. So she's doing this, but can she do it ad infinitum? No. And why does David want a time traveler? He wants to change history, my friends. Uh He thinks he's going to help by doing this. So along the way, there might be some collateral damage, but he goes, I'll make it up to you because I'm going to fix the timeline. (laughs) So we have Farouk, we have David, we have Professor X. We have this time traveler. We have all of David's friends working against him leading up to the finale in season three. And the question is, who succeeds? Does David succeed? Does Farouk and David's friends? Does nobody? Do both factions succeed? And what happens when you go back in time, when you encounter certain things in people? How does that work? And what's the cost? Because you can't just do what you want with time. There is a check and balance. And it's a nasty group of beings. I'll say it that way. And that might be the reason why the world will end. It's not because David wants to end it. It's his efforts to stop it ending that ends it. Now, I've had my ups and downs with this show. Yes, you have. The aesthetic, look, it comes from Noah Hawley, who also does the Fargo TV show. Um, he also, uh, coming up, is the that, that science fiction movie with Natalie Portman, ref, that's coming out this year. Mm-hmm. That's his, his directorial debut. So he is a visionary. He's great at setting up worlds that you haven't seen before or that you have seen, but in a different way and setting up atmosphere, all of that. But the thing is, we are telling a story here. And did we need three seasons to get to where we were in Legion? Because it's really not that much happening plot-wise. Legion has a being in his head. He needs to get rid of it. The being wants to retaliate. He's got to stop the being and save his friends and himself. Got it. He also has to deal with his past. Got it. Like, there's not much to say uh, outside of that plot-wise. But what happened half about halfway through this season, Ref, is it dawned on me there's a way to watch this show. And here's how. First, know that not a lot is actually happening that matters plot-wise. 
You do not have to understand every single thing thinking this might matter in regard to what's coming next. Yeah, yeah. No. If you don't understand it, let go of it, you'll be perfectly fine. Because what's happening is this, the main crux of Legion is, it's a story, a depiction, a creative depiction, definitely, of mental illness. Mm. That's what they're really dealing with. So it's all about David's own reality, which doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, obviously, he had Farouk in his head for 30 years. So when you're watching it and you start going, what's going on? This is where they're going. This is a way for us to show you what mental illness is like, what it's like on the inside, and how it might show, or how it might affect the people on the outside. Also, they did this whole thing where one character relives childhood in this season. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. So is that important plot-wise? Not really, as long as you know she's reliving her childhood. So if you're going to watch this, everybody, and you haven't started, or if you haven't finished, just take it from me. Don't worry about going, oh, I've got to understand that. I've got to understand this because it's going to pay off in the end. No, they're depicting mental illness. The storyline that you understand is enough for it all to make sense in the end. I'll say overall, I would probably give this a B, B minus. I think in season three, they did have some of their best work. Some of this stuff is absolutely disgusting and scary to see. <laughs> I'll just put it out there. They will flash this being that every time my brother and I watch it, he screams out, it's hilarious. So it's like stuff like that. So if you watch it that way, if that interests you, I think you will get something out of it. In the end, was it worth it for me? I'd say it was worth it. I think Noah does have a good understanding of how to end a show. Well, Lucy in the Sky is the name of the movie that he he has coming out with Natalie Portman. And you will see Dan Stevens co-starring with her. So there you go. Now listen, we have just about wrapped up this summer just about and there are some more tv shows that are gearing up some tv shows that we'll check in with and we're saying goodbye to some of the tv shows that we've covered since day one but all in all you can always depend on my watch that to give you something to watch Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.